everybody, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something not through no fault of our own or through our own making, we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are in your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Good morning, everybody. It's a beautiful day down in Florida, and it is the second Thursday in April. And it was interesting. I woke up this morning, and I was thinking, do we all have a month of the year that might be our trigger month, a month that is a little more emotional for us than another? And I thought, my gosh, you know what, Deb? April is your month. And the reason I say that is just before, for just a moment, before we get into our, our interview today, um, 11 years ago today, I got the call from my son that said, Mom, Dad just died. And that particular call, I still get shivers when I say that, uh, changed my life and the trajectory of my life forever. And in light of what we're talking about today with our guest about being stuck in, in a place that may not be a good place for you, I, I sat down and I wrote, a, I wrote a list of pluses and minuses for the month of April. And at the top of my minus list was the call. And then my daughter, actually I'm going to go to the plus side, because the plus side is it's Jenny's birthday, it's CJ's birthday, I've had two kids get married in the month of April, I started a show in April. So there's some really good things about April. And then the bad thing is my daughter, two weeks after her birthday, you know, and the same month that she got married, seven years later, her husband, or six years later, her husband decided that he didn't want to be married anymore. So she got the call. Actually, it was a text which really irritated me. But those calls that we get, that can really change us, that can make us bitter, that can make us angry about life, and that's when we go, why me, why me? Well, we're not going to have a why me show today. We're going to have a stand up and speak up and do your thing show and make those emotional negative triggers into something more positive because somehow I was able to do that. And... Yesterday I was on a call with a military class I'm taking and we were talking about how veterans, and our guest today is a veteran, how veterans have a certain way of being able to just, you know, pull up their bootstraps and make lemonade out of lemons, which many of us do, not just veterans. But I'm thinking, you know what, I didn't want to let that call get me down. And it could have. It also transitioned me into online dating and then that's a whole nother story which we know about um, but April was a hard month except this morning when I, I the hope in my life that I want others that have gone through what I went through to realize is that you can find true happiness again and when I woke up this morning and went out and got a big hug from my husband I remarried I realized, and I thanked him, I was like, you know what, 11 years ago today, I never, ever would have figured I would be as happy and in a spot as good as I am today. And I'm so grateful for him and for everybody along the path that has given me a kick in the pants or a hug and said, you can do it, you can stand up, you can speak up, and you can make a difference. So sit down and figure out what those goods and bads are, and let's make the good list more positive and more upbeat than the bad list because like my guest Marty Ward said a few weeks ago, you get good luck and bad luck. And what you see as bad luck might really be good luck 
when you're looking back in the window behind you. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to make our bad luck into good luck. And today, my guest, Miss Monique Pettiway, is a woman that has definitely had some bad luck that she's turned into some extraordinary good things. And I want to invite her to say hello from Alabama. Good morning, Monique. Hi, Debbie. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm so excited you're here. Monique and I met up in Atlanta. We were both speakers at a women's conference up there. And it was funny because we kind of sat back. We might have actually sat near each other. Um, but you were pretty quiet. And so was I. We were kind of taken in this crowd. <laughs> I think we were probably the two quietest ones that were there until we started yakking at each other. Um, very observant. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And your story was, was uh, you didn't, I didn't know your story. I didn't know who you were until you stood up and I was like, oh, my word. She has got one story that has got to come out. And it was very interesting to me because I was going through some things with one of my boys, uh, my youngest, and we had so much in common that we never would have known if we hadn't talked about things that are uncomfortable, you know, being comfortable talking about, or being comfortable talking about uncomfortable things. So let me just introduce my friends to you. Miss Monique Pettaway, because she's an inspirational woman. She's a personal development coach. She's the author, and you got to get this book. It's called Incarcerated But Free, How to Find Freedom from Your Mental Prison. And she's also uh, a contributing author to an anthology called I Rise, Living Beyond the Bruises. Mm-hmm. And we'll, she'll have us tell, uh, tell us how we can get a hold of that. But Monique, I think... You're doing some great things with students as a your principal, correct? Principal? I'm going to let you tell the story. Tell us who you are, Miss Monique. Not quite a principal, but <laughs> close enough. Teacher so running I, the school? <laughs> well, my, my, my title is called Academy Specialist. I'm in education. I've been in education, this is my 22nd year, so it's, it's been a journey. Um, and so my job as an academy specialist is to help students um, find a career path and put them in front of those career paths so that they can make informed decisions in the future. So we try to make sure that we give them exposure to various careers. So when they graduate, um, you know, they don't waste money going to college on a career that they're really not interested in. So we give them an opportunity to see it while they're in high school. So that's that's my day job. <laughs> but my other job, of course, you know, is speaking, and I love speaking and traveling. And uh, COVID has kind of put a wrench in that, but hopefully, you know, we can get back to getting out there and traveling again. So I guess the Internet is the way now. We're, we're doing podcasts and Zoom meetings all the time. Well, I, I honor you for what you do because she does have a podcast called Life Strategies with Monique. I was a guest on it at one point, and we had such a fun conversation. Dominique, we're going to dive back a little bit into your past and why you ended up writing the book, um, the story that you wrote the book, because you got, were in a similar situation where you know you kind of hit that brick wall. I got the call, and you got what? What did were you? I got, tell look, everybody I got what happened. Let's let's just kind of get the monk, the you know elephant out of the room. Tell everybody the story of what happened and how it affected you, and then we're going to say how you moved out of it. Okay. So, and as you started the show, you were talking about that month of April, which is ironic because April was the exact month that my life literally was torn upside down, too. It was April 19th um, in 1999. So that's been 20 years. So it's actually been 20-plus years since, you know, my life was turned around upside down. So... Um, for me, I was young. I was 26 years old. I was in college, had just graduated, um, had just gotten a, a teaching job. I was living in North Alabama, and I had met the love of my life at the time, and had just gotten married. So we had gotten a, a house that we were renting in the area. And so things, so I thought, were beginning. You know, you, you graduate college, you get a job, you get married. So this is a new beginning. Um but it wasn't the beginning that I thought uh, because six, eight months, you know, later, I ended up getting this call 
telling me that my husband is wanted for murder. And so at that point, my whole life was shut down because I had never experienced anything so traumatic in my life, you know, because I had that normal life. I had that life where I had great parents who, they were also educators. It was a simple life for me. I was a cheerleader. I had joined the military because that was how I was paying for school. So I had never, ever experienced anything so traumatic. And so when that hit my life, I hit rock bottom. I literally, I shut down because I began to see the world so differently. You begin to see how people treat you differently. You begin to see how people respond to you. They begin to treat you uh, in a sense of guilt by association. And it was like, well, I didn't do anything wrong, but that's not how people treat you. And so it was during that time that when my husband at the time went to prison, I myself went to what we call a mental prison. See, there are two types of prison. There's a mental prison and then there is a physical prison. He was in a physical prison, but I went to the mental prison because I locked myself up in four walls where I went to my room and I didn't come out. The only reason I came out of my room was to go to work. I came out to eat and I very rarely socialized because I was hurting. It was a very difficult and hard place. And what people don't realize is that when you go to when you when you lose a loved one to the system, it's just like a death. You end up going through a mourning process. It's just like grieving the loss of a loved one's life. It's a death. And it hurts, and it takes you through all of the emotions of a loss. And so when they go to prison, you go to prison with them because you have lost something. You have lost something. You've basically lost a part of you that you never anticipated losing, which I know a lot of people don't associate that, losing someone to the system to grief, but it's one and the same. You've lost something. Something has been ripped away from you. So you go through that process. You go to those feelings of of loss and helplessness. You feel hopeless. You feel like you're about to lose your mind. You're trying to figure out what in the world has happened. You're trying to grapple the pieces together. You feel like there's no hope. And so at some point you have to realize, well, how do I get out of this place? And so for me, That is how eventually I ended up writing the book because I began to try to search and find resources, and there weren't any. (laughs) Yeah, well, let's let's go back. Let's address that initially, though, because, I mean, I'm sitting here feeling those feelings because one of my my boys actually did spend some time in jail, uh, and there's a difference between a jail and a prison, and it's basically time. You know, if you go down here anyway, if it's more than a year, it's it's federal, it's a prison. It could be federal. It could be whatever uh, state. But how did you feel? Were you able to go visit? Yes, I was able to go visit. And and that was the thing. That was the thing that really kept me going was the ability to be able to see him still and actually to get calls from him. But it gets really expensive. That's the other thing. It's really expensive. Those calls are really expensive. Uh, At that time, you only got like 15 minutes. I don't know what they're giving you now, but (laughs) they gave 15 minutes. And those calls cost a lot, and you got to visit every other month. I mean, every other week, not every other month. It was every in other per, week. In so person? Were you able to in visit person. in person? Yeah, every other week or every other Saturday and every other Sunday, they had a rotation. And so you got to visit from from 7 to 1 o'clock, and then that was also in a rotation. So if you got there early enough, you could get in in the first rotation. If you got there too late, you had to wait to the second rotation. So it was always this anticipation to try to visit your loved one. And that whole system is so different because, you know, they take you through the um, through the searching process and, you, you know, you feel violated. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's just such a... It's such a hard thing to have to go through, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody to have to go through, you know, all of that pain, all of that hurt, and having to leave your loved one, you know, in that place every other week because you hear the horror stories because they tell you. They they tell you what they're going through. They tell you what they're experiencing, and you can 
but there's nothing you can do. It's not, you know, you can't get them out of that place. So it's hard. It's very hard uh, to watch. It's hard to, to be a part of. It's very difficult. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that you called it um, losing them to the system because it's a system that, that many of us um, have no idea about. But when you're in it, you know, you're, I remember sitting there the first time I went to visit, I was thinking to myself, why am I here? You know, why mm-hmm. am I sitting here thinking, well, I, I, not that I was too good for it, but thinking like, like you, we came from good families and, you know, good things, and, and why are we sitting here? And, and then you get treated by the people that have the uniforms on on the other side of the plexiglass windows, like you said, like you're the criminal. And it is awful. It is an awful feeling. If I had another lifetime, I think you and I had a couple of other moms that I know <laughs> would go and change yeah. the system because oh, they yeah. do make the family feel like the criminal, and that's wrong. And I'm, I don't mean to get on a rant, but just this just brought up the emotions of me sitting there. And, and actually down here, it was only video visits. There was no ever in-person visits. And oh, wow. if you didn't get there... Um, within 15 minutes or 20 minutes or half an hour or whatever it was of the visit, then you weren't let in. And mm-hmm. I remember so many women, it was usually moms that were there, got so angry. And I'm thinking, okay, guys, have you ever heard of you get more you know, with honey than vinegar? <laughs> you can't tick off the person that's letting you in because they won't let you in. Right, exactly. They will not. So yeah, how, did your fam- how did your family help you through this? And, I mean, obviously you guys were surprised at what, that this happened. Oh, yeah, most definitely. My, my, parents, um, my parents were very, very supportive, which I think is the one thing that a lot of families don't have uh, is the support. And they supported me. They never, they never questioned. They never um, tried to tell me to do anything. They let me make my own decisions. But they just sat me down and said, hey, we support you. Whatever decision you make, we support that. If you want to stay, we're going to support that. If you're going to leave, we're going to support that too. But you just let us know what you need. And that was the most important thing that my parents did for me mm-hmm. was to support me and to stand behind me. And not just my parents, but my entire family. They did the exact same thing. They say, we support you. And that is the one thing that people need when they're hurting, when they're going through a traumatic experience, is they need support. But a lot of times they don't either, they don't have the support or they don't know where to find the support. And having that support is the one thing that can, you know, make or break an individual when they don't have it. Because people Mm -hmm. feel alone. They feel abandoned. They feel lost, they feel confused, and they don't have any answers. So support is definitely something that they need. How did you get treated in the school system? As When you went back to your job, were you treated any differently? Uh, yeah, yeah, most definitely. <laughs> uh, at the time, again, I was living in North Alabama, um, and this was only my first year teaching, but at the end of the year, they non-renewed my contract which is normal, you know. It takes three years for educators to become tenured in the state of Alabama. And so it was kind of like, oh, they could just not renew my contract. But this particular year, they did this thing called RIF, R-I-F, which is called mm-hmm. the Reduction in Force Plan. Mm-hmm. And so they put me under the Reduction in Force Plan, which it was three of us. And so at the time, I was part of the um, educational um AEA, what have you called, Alabama Education Association, where you, you pay your – the union is basically what it was. Mm-hmm. And so they actually reached out to us and said, hey, they can't do this. And we were like, oh, okay, they can't do that. They were like, yeah, no, they can't do that. They can't put you under the reduction in force. We're going to try to get your jobs back. And I was like, well, okay. But at the time, what I realized was that they were letting me go because of what had happened with my husband. And so – when it really came down to it, uh, two of them, they were able to get them their jobs back, and I was not able to get my job back. So I ended up um, getting a letter uh, saying, I don't even remember what the letter I had to get, but it was like a resignation or something versus a reduction in force. And so I ended mm-hmm. up leaving and moving back home 
with my parents. I'm having to literally just start all over again because I lost everything, the house, the job, everything, you know, even friends, you know, who supposedly were friends, you know, they disappear. (laughs) That happens. You find out who really supports you. So I became real cautious of people. I, I really, I quit watching the news because everything on the news was not true. And I knew it wasn't true, so I literally stopped watching the news. I couldn't take it anymore, so I stopped. Um, I was real uh, picky about people, Uh, just was not trustworthy, didn't trust people. Um, And so I just limited my circle. My circle was very limited. It was just family. And then my church family. I ended up getting back in the church, Um, and as as, as a uh, in result of me getting back into the church, that's where, you know, I, I turned my life back over to Christ, and I ended up in the ministry. Mm-hmm. And that's basically how my life was turned around is because I shifted my focus from everything else that was going bad in the world uh, to Christ, and everything has been a blessing since. And just a quick question, are you, are you still married or not? I don't know that story. No, um, I am divorced now. Okay, but I stayed married for ten years. Oh wow! Um, I went, yeah, I went through every appeal because you know they have so many appeals in the court systems until they're exhausted. I went through every appeal till I think we exhausted every appeal, and um, we basically came to an agreement. You know that um, he wasn't going to ask me to continue to stay after you know that final appeal. So, um, yeah, great staying power. That's great love for. I mean, you were you were so young. Had you yes. known him for a while? <laughs> yeah, we had dated for like two years, two two and a half years, roughly. Um, so yeah, it was just great. But you know, life happens. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does, and it uh, happens. Circumstances happen that are beyond beyond our control, uh, but you are definitely one of my my club group of the women behind the smile, right? Because oh, I'm looking yeah. at your picture right now, and it's so pretty. You have such a pretty smile, and I bet you just put that smile up and said you were fine <laughs> all the time. In the beginning, it was extremely hard. You know, you go to work, you smile, everything's good. You put on that facade, but then when you get home, it's another story. You know, your pillow's wet, full of tears. You know, you cry yourself to sleep every night. You try to muster up the strength to get up every morning and try to say, you know, Lord, just help me through the day because this is hard. This mm-hmm. is tough. <laughs> as soon as that, as soon as someone asks you how you're doing, it's when you fall apart. <laughs> it's like, don't ask. <laughs> I know, I know, and you know all that time, I I always wore my ring because, you know, I honor marriage. Mm -hmm. And people would often ask me, well, hey, what does your husband do? And, you know, I ended up coming up with this response. Um, And the response was always, he gets on my nerves. And it kind of always deflected the conversation somewhere (laughs) else. So (laughs) it was kind of like I always had a different answer because it was like, well, you want me to just say he's in prison? You know, and then if I say that, they have no response, and they don't even know how to respond. So I just, you know, I say, oh, you know what? He just gets on my nerves. So that's what he does. So, um, well, that that diffuses it, you know, because <laughs> yeah. obviously it made me laugh. But I'm thinking, but if you if I hadn't heard your story, then I wouldn't. We have so much in common because of that, you know. So that opens up a door to the people that are actually part of the system you know, or family members that are part of the system who really need to hear how to get through it, especially at the very beginning. So that's why you wrote your book? Is that, was that, who, who encouraged you to write the book? It was God, you know, because I kept, I kept looking for resources and I didn't find the resources that were out there. I was like, well, there's just really nothing out here to help families who are suffering with having a loved one in prison. And so... I wrote the book, and so I remember sitting in church one Sunday, and I heard God speaking to me. He said, you know you're incarcerated, but you're really free. And I was like, what? He said, you're acting as though you're incarcerated, 
but you're free. Mm -hmm. And he was talking to me about my mindset and how I'm living like I am in a sale, like I can't be free, like I can't do what he's called me to do. He's like, that's not the case. You have so much inside of you that I want to do, but you can't do it if you're acting as though you're in prison. You've locked yourself up in these four walls, which was my room at the time. And he's like, that's not where I put you. That's not where I destined you to be. He said, you've got to free yourself, your limitations in your mind to be free. And so that's how I began to sit down and start writing about the different emotional bouts that people go through when they experience a traumatic experience because they're all the same. Whether you're dealing with a death, whether you're dealing with a lost one to the system, whether you're dealing with divorce, divorce, the emotions are still the same. You go through those feelings, those grieving feelings. And so in the book, I talk about every one of those emotions and how we can overcome those emotions to get to that place of freedom. And it takes courage to do that. <clears throat> it's very difficult, I, I know, live, reliving. Uh, when you were writing the book, how, how did you feel when you had to relive each of those emotions? You know what? Um, that's how you know you're healed. <laughs> when, you, when you've overcome those things, they don't bother you as much. You know, you feel, you feel the freedom. When you can write about it, when you can talk about it, when you can proclaim it, and you can help somebody else, that's how you know you've been healed. It's just like forgiveness. If someone, if you've had a difficult time trying to forgive someone and you see them and it still burns you through your bones, then you know you haven't, haven't forgiven them. But the moment you see them and you have no ill feelings toward them, you know forgiveness has come because mm-hmm. it doesn't bother you anymore. So when you reach true healing, and you are no longer ashamed about your circumstances, and you are free from that, you can write from that place. Well, it's, it's a lovely book, and there are, there are parts of it. Um, explain to the audience, basically, how each chapter goes, because I, I want them to, to understand this is not about being in a prison prison. It's your mind prison, and we're all in that spot. We've all been through something that we put ourselves in the box. And, mm-hmm. and it was really interesting. I, I was in a class one time and someone said, think out of the box, think out of the box. And they're like, mm-hmm. and then someone came up and said, well, why are you in the box? <laughs> and I was like, it's a saying. But look at the mindset we have. If we're saying, think out of the box, that means we're in the box. And you're right. saying, don't even go there. Don't go in the box. So the book is set up in basically three sections. I call it the beginning, the middle, and the ending. And so, again, it takes you through the progression of those emotional bouts. And so I use words and biblical stories that people can draw from and how they have overcome. Uh, There's stories about what I went through in there, little nippets about, you know, things that took place and how I felt during those those emotional bouts that I was going through. And then there are questions and meditations, you know, at the end of each little chapter. And each chapter is not long. I kept them really short. Um, I know people's time is valuable. So they're really short chapters that you can read within, you know, five minutes, you know, each day just going through each. It's a quick read. It really is Mm -hmm. a quick read. Um, But you do need to take the time to read it and answer those questions because writing is so therapeutic. Um, Writing was one of the things that I used to get through what I was going through. Um, So you're writing. I do ask people to keep a journal as they're going through the book because that progression, you're going to see your growth as you're going through those emotions and going through those places. You see the growth. So um, it's a process, but you have to be willing to go through the process. And I think a lot of people want to skip the process, which – Growth doesn't come unless you go through the process. So we all have to go through it if we want to get through it. So we have to go through the process and be willing to surrender ourselves, our minds, and our thoughts to the process. How can people get a hold of this book? Well, it is on Amazon. Uh, It's on all the retailers, Amazon, Books a Millions, Barnes & Nobles. You can go to any of those websites. Um, It's under my name, Monique Petaway. incarcerated but free, how to find freedom from your rental prison. I I wrote the book from the aspect of uh, not only those who have family members that are incarcerated, 
But for anyone who has experienced something traumatic, like I say, it could be divorce, it could be death, it could be prison, but it's a traumatic experience because we've all experienced something and we all have a difficult time. Um, It's just a matter of being willing to overcome it. Mm -hmm. Well, the first part here, too, is you have to overcome it, but you have to admit it. You have to, you know, just... Take it, take the bull by the horns, right? And just say, okay, mm-hmm. this happened to me, and I'm not embarrassed by it. I'm not. The hard part for me originally was, especially about you know talking about this being scammed, was acknowledging that what others thought wasn't going to hurt mm-hmm. me. Right. And being a mother or a wife or or whatever of someone that's in jail, in prison. That's a hard one to acknowledge too. That's kind of like you don't talk about it, you know, except for someone that you know is safe that maybe has had the mm-hmm. same thing happen. Did you find yourself around other moms or other wives while well, you were so young? Other young wives, and were you able to to build any friendships with those women, or was there some sort of barrier between you guys too? You know, um, I only met, I met one other young woman who was, you know, around my age where uh, shortly after, I guess, with that, when that happened with my husband, I met her and we became really, really good friends and we became a support system for each other mm-hmm. um, because her husband had just gone to prison and she had young ones, she had little ones, she had three kids. I on the other hand, I had, uh, they, I had two stepkids, but they weren't with me, they were with their mom. And so we we formed a, a really good relationship, and again, we bonded with one another because we were experiencing the same thing. But what we both learned was it's not a topic that people talk about. It's not something that people willingly just out there and openly share. Uh, so you really don't know who has a loved one. But when you look at statistics and you look at the prison numbers, and, you know, there, there are over a million people in prison. So if you think about that, if there's over a million people in prison, for every individual that's in prison, there's a mom, a dad, a sister, and a brother on the outside. That's two and three and four times on the outside. So that means there are another two million, three million, four million people on the outside who are having to deal with the loss of one on the inside. Mm-hmm. So those are huge numbers, but nobody's really talking about it. They don't, and I think we just feel uncomfortable because we forget that they're real people. And that there are some really bad folks in there, but there are many that are, that are behind bars. And, and I, you know, especially in, in the county and local jails, there are a lot of young, young people that have been put away for drug things. And, you know, they're really good kids. They just made some very poor decisions. And right. like you said, each one has a mom and a dad and a brother and a sister, and they might have lost that relationship too by their, because of their choices very difficult as a as a family member to hang in there maybe not i think mothers and wives have a little more sticking power i think and are little maybe a little more i don't know if it's forgiving is the word but um willing to to stand by although there were some there were points in my life where i was just like you know what i'm ready to just wash my hands of this one you can't because in you know you know in the, in the eternal perspective we're all brothers and sisters and family members and we're here to support each other and we all make mistakes and their mistake got them behind bars right my mistake got me behind bars originally but not physical bars but like you say those (laughs) mental bars unless we do something to move on we're going to be stuck there so I really like the way that you have are using what happened to move forward how do you how do you take your experiences and and work with the the young people that you're teaching uh, are you open about this or or have you put this behind you now well obviously not because we're talking about it <laughs> and the book <laughs> but it's with me every day one of the the community that I work in um, is a very as they say low poverty a lot of our kids don't have their parents in the home, and a lot of them, their fathers are in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have somebody in their household that's either in jail or is in and out of jail. So the being able to communicate with those kids um, is something that I'm able to do because I understand from what perspective they're, they're living from. And a lot of people 
can't have that connection because they don't know what it's like. It's like, if, as they say, if I've never been an alcoholic, I can't help someone who's dealing with alcoholism. But if I've experienced that, then I can help somebody. And so because I've experienced it and I know what they're going through, I can, I can sympathize or empathize with these children because I understand what it's like not having my, my, my mom who's in, who's in and out of jail, you know, at home, not at home, or my dad who's currently in prison and I hadn't seen him in five years or won't nobody take me to go visit him because we don't have a car. So I understand the kids' struggles. And so when I'm talking to the kids, I understand what they're going through when they think nobody else understands. Well, you have that credibility and that empathy. And I hadn't thought about that, about kids that might want to go visit that can't get there. And now with COVID, I would imagine that that's severely limited. Maybe they're doing the video, the video visitation, which is what they were doing down here. Um, but that's just so different. It's so different. Uh, and it's tough. So I uh, thank you for that. And, and those kids are real lucky to have you. Uh, you're, you know, it's amazing. So tell us a little bit about why you started your podcast called Life Strategies with Monique. Ah, so my podcast is all about stories and strategies because I believe every woman has a story or a man. We all have stories, and as a result of those stories, we all have come up with strategies to overcome them. So I love being able to share people's stories and how they were able to overcome what they went through or how they were able to build what they have accomplished. So being able to share that is so valuable because so many people just don't know or so many people feel like they're alone and that nobody understands. So those stories are stories of hope that they can cling on to, that they can say to themselves, well, if God did it for them, he can do it for me. Mm-hmm. And so you just mentioned your tips for, for getting out of what you are. Do you have any, what are your tips? So say someone is in one you know, position that, that they're, they're feeling like they're just stuck. What are your, what are your tips? What are your, uh, how do you encourage folks to move forward? Yeah, so I always um, give the three Ds, three Ds of life. So number one is you have to make a decision. That's the most important thing or the first step. And I know you said acknowledge. Yeah, you have to acknowledge, but you first, you have to make a decision because that decision has to be made in your mind because once you make that decision, it makes it easier for now for you to be able to move move forward. Number two is have determination. You have to have a spirit of determination because that is what's going to get you propelled forward, being determined that no matter what, I'm going to get up. You say stand up, but you do. I'm saying you need to get up, be determined to get up and move forward, and then have a desire. You have to have a desire for it in your heart because without the desire, you're not going to do anything. The desire has to come from within. That is true, and it doesn't matter how many kick in the butts you get if you don't want to do it. It's like going on a diet. If you don't want to do it for yourself, it'll never happen. It never happen. The three Ds, I'm going to remember that, especially in the show because we, have, we usually have three Debbies on the show, so it's three Ds. So this is fun. We're gonna, I'm going to bring in Dr. Tim McGinnis. Tim is the founder of the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams called SCARS. I'm on the board of SCARS. And we deal with a lot of women in particular, some men that have uh, been through traumatic experience that I think basically put themselves in a mental prison at some point. And it's very difficult to, to get out of it without support. So Dr. Tim, are you there? Well, first off, Monique, let me offer my heartfelt congratulations on the extraordinary work that you've, that you've done and the transformation that you've gone through in your life. And it occurs to me how vast the similarities are the, of what you're describing to the people that we help who have also made life choices, um, thought nothing of them at that moment, but it resulted in profound changes in their lives. And as you say, they put themselves in their own prison of shame, self-blame, and that results in, in significant trauma. 
um, that they then have to overcome. And that's a, that's a ladder that takes years to overcome. One of the things that, that you had mentioned that is so 100% applicable to our world is that those first two things, acceptance and, and commitment or dedication. One of the things that we find with, with everybody who has been wronged in one way or another, uh, whether it's through their own actions or through, through the actions of somebody else, which in the case of scam victims is very similar to incarcerated families, they didn't do anything wrong, but someone did something wrong that affected them. And being able to come to grips with that, being able to just accept that the situation is what it is, you can't change it, you can try and, and mitigate it in, in many ways, but in the end, you have to accept it as reality and then adapt your life with determination and with a purpose to be able to climb out of that hole that that prison that they put themselves into. So um, those are the similarities that, that I absolutely saw in, in this. How did you, I, I'd like to ex- ask you about sort of the, the support that you were giving to the other person who had a family member as well. Why do you think that in effect being a, a support guide, a sponsor, as AA calls it, being able to extend your own pain in the helping of another was so beneficial to you? Well, I guess the best way I can explain that is the whole time I was going through, I kept saying, I can't be going through this for nothing. I can't be going through through this for nothing. I don't believe God would have me go through this and not have a reason at the end. And so I believe that I went through it for the sole purpose of being able to help somebody else, to be able to understand what they're going through. Because if you ever notice, people are more apt to talk to people who have been through what they've been through They because they, under, they realize that you understand and you can empathize with them, and they're more apt to talk to you. They're more apt to share with you, and you can truly say, I understand. I know what you're going through. I've been there. You can make it. And so it makes it so much easier for you to be able to support someone when you've gone through it. And so for me, that was the that was what allowed me to say, you know what, there is a reason I'm going through it. And people used to say it all the time. This will be your testimony. This will be your testimony. And I was like, ah, oh, what do you mean by that? It would be the one thing that would be encouragement to others. Exactly. And, and when you were talking about counseling children, advising them, guiding them about their futures, etc., that have family members who are also incarcerated, one of the things that occurs to me is a portion of the, the challenge that these children face is when they have a parent, for example, mothers, of an incarcerated person or or a wife of an incarcerated person, the parent also gets lost in their own trauma and is unable to really be a parent for that child. And as a result, the child is profoundly traumatized in the process as well. We, in what we do, have many parents, mothers specifically, who've been through the trauma of scams, but see the impact on their children. And I think that you're in a unique position and and the work that you're doing is, is incredible to be able to help those mothers or fathers, as the case may be, pull themselves out of that victimhood where they're a victim of incarceration into the survivor's role so that they can care for their children and deal with their children's trauma at the same time or, or, or help them have a happier, healthier life as a result. 
I'm not a psychologist. I'm a I'm an anthropologist, so I look at this from a slightly <laughs> different perspective. Right. But mm-hmm. but it seems to me that there is a natural progression available to you to make your your testimony even more profound by by helping by helping more. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but it just seems <laughs> that's a natural progression. In in the same way that, that we've all done this. Debbie has been through this experience. My own was a little bit different, but Debbie's been through this experience and is an incredible support to people scam victims in significant trauma in all of their stages from the early panic of no idea how to take a step forward, how they're going to survive from day to day through to the period where they're dealing through the grief stages to that period where they've gone through it, but they haven't completely healed and how they get to those final stages of, of, of peace within themselves, of climbing out of the box, climbing out of the prison. Uh, so I applaud you for the work that you've done. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've spent some time working, trying to look at reentry programs from a different perspective and how that might work. I'm a firm believer that only the most violent victims uh, criminals should ever be incarcerated. Everybody else should have mechanisms that will allow them to work through it because much of it is actually mental illness in disguise and criminalizing mental illness, except in those cases where they're simply too violent to live in society, I think is is the wrong approach. I think that's a that's a great topic for an additional show, Tim. So um, mental note on that one, it, and thank you for your words too, because that is that is so true. And as far as the the final part of recovery, at least for me, it's when you start to talk to somebody that's been through the same thing, and you realize you're not alone. And I think Monique, you probably have, have felt that too when you found somebody that was uh, going through something similar. That gives you the strength that, like, okay, I can move on. I can, you know, do something positive now and not get sucked into that dark hole of why me, why me, and, you know, the victimhood. It's like, okay, what is my purpose? And I love how you said that. Find your purpose through your testimony, through your pain, and that becomes your purpose in life. And we're all here for a reason. And if we have to go through something that, initially is just unbearable uh, that with time and dedication making that decision that you're not going to be held down by your choice or someone else's choice that there's a reason for this right now and you're going to get through it uh, and make something positive about it you're doing that in a great way and again I'm looking at your picture I love your smile because you're that woman behind the smile but you're really the woman with the smile. And, and I, I honor you for what you're doing, and thank you. Um, last word, what would you like our listeners to, to know about you and, and your mission here? Well, just know that my mission is to just help women overcome those traumatic experiences because, you know, we all have something great within each and every one of us, and I want to help pull that out of them. Um, they just need that, that support, that coach, you know, to help them through it. And um, I would love to do that. I would definitely love to do that. How do people get a hold of you, Monique? Um, you can find me on my website. My website is just my name, MoniquePedalway.com. You can find uh, all my information there, uh, including speaking. If you want to uh, call me to come do a speaking in the event, I would definitely love to do that. Uh, so just Go to my website. Everything's there. And you, uh, your, um, your podcasts are on YouTube. I, actually, I was able to, do, to pull them up on YouTube. So just go to Monique Petaway, and it's M-O-N-I-Q-U-E-P-E-T-T-A-W-A-Y, MoniquePetaway.com. And uh, Monique, thank you so much for, for being our guest, for being a friend of mine. Even though we don't see each other, you know, we, I always love that, Sisters by Other Misters. You just find people in your life that you click with, and it could be because of something that you've been through. Uh, sometimes we're just, you know, we just start put around the people that we're meant to be put around. And um, 
and I, I again I love your smile I love your mission and and all that you're doing for the kids and for their families and folks you know if you want to if you want to really I'm going to plug the book again it's called incarcerated but free how to find freedom from your mental prison we all find ourselves in the box in that mental prison and it's it's time to acknowledge it make that decision be determined to get you know to move forward and have that desire to do something great with your life because we're all here to uh, to help each other out and to get on to the next life. So Monique, thank you so much. We really appreciate you being here. Thanks, Dr. Tim, for your insight. And everybody, appreciate you being here on Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you've been a victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. If you'd like to get a hold of Monique, go to moniquepetaway.com and find her on LinkedIn and YouTube. Uh, she's got great insight in what she's talking about. If you know of anybody that has had family members that are incarcerated, reach out to Monique. She has a unique perspective and can guide you through the emotions of, of recovering from what someone else in your family might have done. Um, this episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles and numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfo teaming products at BenfoComplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for 5% discount on your purchase. Again, folks, thank you so much for being with us today. It's that month of April. For me, that trigger month, I'm looking forward to just finding all the positive I can because I love the month of April now. So go to my website, thewomenbehindthesmile.com, for additional information and resources and replays of this show. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. And it really is fun to watch these shows with, with pictures attached. Enjoy the replays. Share them. Share Monique's information with everybody. Share our information about SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, at romancescamsnow.com. And enjoy the day, folks. It's a great April day here in South Florida. We encourage you to have a stand up and speak up wonderful day. And thanks so much for being with us today. Bye now. <laughs>